This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. And welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Curtis Panko on mental health and well-being in sports. We had a very exciting first part of our conversation where we explored the state of art in sports psychology in terms of understanding athlete mental health and well-being and looked at the theoretical ideas underpinning the exciting work that Curtis has just completed very recently. So we'll jump back to our second part of the conversation. Welcome back, Curtis, and let's start by exploring your empirical work. So maybe explain a little bit about your methodological approach and uh, what you actually did with the empirical research. In my dissertation, I did a three-paper format. Um, So I did three distinct studies. The first two uh, were done within an interpretive phenomenological analysis methodological approach. And the last one, I generated a process map, which is similar to a grounded theory. It's from a a pragmatic perspective and is much more uh, flexible than kind of the first generation grounded theories, which was nice doing research during the COVID uh, lockdowns to have a little bit more flexibility with the method. And so for my first study, I spoke with six flourishing Canadian university student athletes. So six student athletes with high levels of mental health, and they reported those levels of mental health both overall and within the context of their sport. And so for that study, what we did were pre and post season interviews, as well as weekly written diaries to follow their experiences throughout the season. With that study, what I found was that the student athletes took different approaches to their mental health, the different stages of the season. So before the season started or in the preseason phase, the student athletes took time to build a foundation for their mental health by connecting with family and friends and by planning out how they were going to use their time in season. And that included both planning academically as well as kind of making sure that they were planning to engage in social events outside of sport during the season. During the in-season phase, the participants actually seemed to switch to managing or maintaining their mental health. Uh, This was done by balancing the different domains of their lives, so making sure that they were making time for school and sport and family and friends. Uh, Communicating with their coaches was really important, so having a coach that could help them to manage their expectations was really, really helpful for them in the competitive season. And then looking for positive, so injuries are a regular part of sport, uh, as we unfortunately know, and that came up 
with some of the athletes I spoke with where it was, you know, even though I'm hurt, I can appreciate that I'm in more of a leadership role on my team this year. I'm able to mentor some of the younger student athletes this year. Um, so taking time to, to look for things that were going well for them in the season was important. And then in the postseason, they took time to kind of reinvest in their flourishing. And that was done by taking a break from sport, which allowed them to balance up, again, the other areas of their lives that maybe were important to them, but they didn't have time to dedicate fully to during the competitive season, and also by reflecting on their growth. So appreciating the things that they got better at in season, some of which involved technical skills, some of which involved uh, also those interpersonal skills like leadership, or even some of those individual almost life skills, things like your their time management and their ability to um, you know, adhere to a study plan, let's say, or do really well academically. So with the first study, yeah, the, the really interesting thing was finding that these flourishing student athletes took different approaches to their mental health, different stages in the season, because we hadn't really, um, when it came to looking at flourishing specifically, um, there hadn't really been an examination of kind of how do people approach, let's say, a high stress period in, in their work or in their lives in a way where they feel that overall they're largely able to maintain their their flourishing, their status as someone who has high levels of mental health. And you've done qualitative work, so so the athletes have shared their stories and experiences. I guess what is interesting for me is that if you can reflect a little bit on how what kind of relationship did these flourishing athletes have with their sport that for example we know that if you are too focused on winning and results and then your life is a little bit up and down based on whether you're succeeding or not so whether you could see that they had somehow put that performance in in perspective and and what other types of things in sport or experiences they valued or, or found meaning from. So if you have some reflections on that. One of the things that I found was really interesting with regards to successes and appreciation and dealing with some of the challenges was the importance of this idea of psychological rest. Specifically, um, there's a papers Eccles and Keismer, I think is how you say it, in Psychology of Sport and Exercise, where they look at essentially different types of psychological rest in athletes. Um, and one that I think was happening in my study was this idea of wakeful active resting. So it's kind of the ability to engage in low cognitive activities is really important for that mental rest, for that mental recovery. And so I think having time for that in season, whether it was bi-weeks or even just getting evenings off, um, given, you know, permitted, if you will, by the coach, was really helpful to the to the student-athletes to be able to kind of really manage some of their stress and just kind of do things where they weren't firing on all cylinders all the time. Another thing that was really helpful, I think, as, especially in terms of establishing meanings, was obviously reflection. Um, that came up in-season, really, in the uh, looking for positives, appreciating positives, in-season phase. And then in the postseason actively reflecting on opportunities for growth and appreciating where they got better, I think was two of the things that the athletes did um, that helped them kind of appreciate meaning or create meaning in their sport experience. And then lastly, actually, I think communicating with coaches was really important. So uh, 
I found kind of two generally different experiences in communicating with coaches. Some were negative. So when the student athletes didn't feel like their coach valued their opinion or their perspective, that was a detriment. Um, that was just an added mental health risk factor or mental health challenge that they had to figure out how to navigate. Because I think it, if we consider this idea of meaning in sport, I think when you don't feel valued as an athlete, when someone tells you that your, your opinion isn't worth considering, or that's your perception of the conversation you're having, um, I think that makes it harder to make your sport, to feel like your sport is contributing to your life in a meaningful way. When people are telling you that you're, you don't have the expertise you think you do. You might think you're a really good athlete. You might think you understand the sport really well, but actually as a coach, I'm not going to really consider what you have to say. On the other hand, there were examples where the coach would help the student-athlete manage their expectations around championship competition. So one of my favorite examples, and it's in the, it's in the published paper, um, an athlete's going to their, their championship event, and their goal in the preseason was a top 10 finish in the conference and an appearance at the national championship. And they were talking with their coach on the ride to the competition. Um, and the athlete was talking about, well, I think I could medal. I think I could do this. I think I could do that. You know, just based on how the season had gone. And the coach said, well, what was your goal in the preseason? And the athlete said, well, I thought in the preseason top 10, but now, like, if I don't medal, I think I'll be disappointed. And, and the coach said, don't move the goalposts. Um, you're, you're exceeding your expectations right now. You've done better than you thought you could. And yeah, you're in a position to medal. Absolutely. Um, but let's make sure that we're appreciating where we've got to this season and make sure that we are appreciating some of that growth. And I think by having the coach step in and help that particular student athlete appreciate the growth they'd had, the athlete was able to make sure that whatever their experience were, and they did medal in that competition and they made it to nationals. But I think by having the coach help them manage their expectations a little bit and appreciate that growth, they were able to find meaning in their performance still. Whereas I think with the pressure we put on ourselves to perform in sport and to be, especially as a, a high performance athlete, like in the Canadian university context, it's easy to kind of forget how far we've come and it's easy to put a lot of value into winning rather than into growth and improvement and i think if we focus on that growth and improvement the way the coach helped that athlete it's easy to to appreciate sport a little bit more and make those experiences more meaningful even when we're maybe not getting a medal yeah i think you're touching upon like several themes that very often come up in like meaningful work literature so having these relationships, trusting relationships. You talked about those athletes who were injured and maybe they could contribute by mentoring so that, you know, you can have a positive contribution to other people and not not just to yourself. And, and then this kind of reflection and personal growth. So you also feel that you grow as a person through your experience in sport. So I, I think those like very nicely fit what we know about meaningful work and what kind of experiences help to experience meaning in your work. So I think that's all quite exciting. And 
Yeah, so study one was on athletes. So let's let's continue looking into your PhD. So yeah, go on. So the second study, again, using uh, an IPA approach, I spoke with seven flourishing men coaches. This was done retrospective, semi-structured individual interviews. Um, was not able to kind of do the the season long, the, the longitudinal structure of the first one, which frankly worked out quite well, just given uh, this study was impacted by initial lockdowns. I started, I think at the beginning of March uh, of 2020 for that one. So I didn't get very many in-person interviews for that. <laughs> very bad timing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so fortunately, uh, the intent was just to do the the individual semi-structured interview, in part the difficulty of scheduling coaches, people who are working full-time and who do work weird hours, and being involved coaching myself, kind of understanding those demands on the full-time staff. Uh, it just made sense to approach it that way. And so, again, um, screened for coaches who were flourishing both overall and in the context of their sport, and as mentioned, what I found was these coaches had created these personally meaningful principles to guide their actions. And when they acted in ways that they felt that were consistent with those principles, they were able to protect and promote their flourishing. And it was a really useful study to do um, from an IPA perspective because it really got into that nuance. It really got that ideographic level and understanding the case. So I found that three principles were evident across the coaches when looking at it kind of from that higher thematic level. Um, but the nuance, the way that the coaches engaged with each of those principles look different. Um, so the three principles were balance, personal growth, and making a difference. Balance referring to the ability to balance up the different domains of the coaches' lives. Um, personal growth Again, feeling that they were improving, feeling that they had opportunities to develop professionally in their sport. And then that idea of making a difference, which was helping their athletes develop um, as people, helping their athletes experience kind of psychosocial growth and development. And so within those themes, again, there were, there were differences in the way that people engaged with the principles. So for example, when it came to balance, some of the coaches had families, um, and talked about the importance of balance for them, meaning making sure that their family was involved in their sport. So having their kids come to practices, having their kids around the field, having their partners be uh, around the field, and also kind of considering their family's needs in regards to their sport. So did the coach need to attend every tournament, every kind of... Um, out-of-season competition, exhibition competition, or would it be, one, a good opportunity for their assistant coaches to develop their skills, um, and two, would it allow them kind of a little bit more balance in their family life? If they were to stay home, if they weren't to go to that tournament, could they, you know, be a little bit more engaged with their family at that time? For others, balance just meant understanding when they had done enough work which obviously is an elusive concept but understanding mm -hmm. that you know you can you can refine a game plan to death if you want to you could spend 70 80 hours a week on it 
but that there's a point of diminishing returns. And at some point you have to say, this is good enough. I'm going to go do something else. And whether that was um, examples came up, like I'm going to go golf. I'm going to go to a movie with friends. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to take my partner out to dinner. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So yeah, that was, those are some of the ways that balance looked different among the coaches. Then when it came to personal growth, again, some of it, um, some of the coaches talked about engaging in active reflection as being really important for their personal growth. So less so seeking out kind of distinct or formalized opportunities for learning and instead just reflecting on what was happening and identifying areas that they could improve on for next time. So saying, you know, was I happy with the way that went? What would I do differently in that meeting the next time if I wasn't happy with the way it went? Does that thing that's maybe bothering me even matter? Is it really relevant to my coaching? Do I need to spend time sitting with it? Whereas others for personal growth would be seek out kind of those more formalized opportunities or distinct opportunities where they said, I'm going to go travel with this other coach who has experienced a lot of success in their sport. And even though our sports are not similar at all, I want to see how they manage their team. Um, I want to understand over the course of this week that they're on the road that I'm going to go travel with them in my off season, how this coach approaches team dynamics. How does this coach approach meetings? How does this coach approach things like student athlete balance? So again, some differences there in how the theme looked. And then lastly, making a difference. Again, sometimes it was um, helping student athletes set their own values, set their own principles that would guide them through the rest of their lives. Other times it was much more focused on sport. So kind of helping athletes develop something like a leadership skill um, in the context of sport and maybe enabling some life skill transfer. And the theme of making a difference was really interesting. Obviously, well, maybe not obviously, uh, my supervisor at the University of Alberta is Dr. Nick Holt, who does a ton of work in positive youth development. And so I noticed that there seemed to be a fair bit of overlap in that theme of making a difference and kind of essentially just different strategies coaches can use to promote positive youth development in sports. So enable kids to develop confidence, competence, connection, character, transferable life skills, and those sorts of things were really prominent in making a difference as a theme. Um, but again, the coaches engaged with it a little bit differently. Yeah, it makes sense. And again, this study also like links to those themes in the meaningful work literature so clearly. Yeah. I think that first theme when you talked about balance and, and how for coaches it can be quite challenging to find that balance. I also did like one qualitative study with coaches like a few years ago and I was talking to volunteer coaches who'd had a, like a job during the day and then they do the coaching in the evening and often it was somewhat challenging for them. So, you know, if they are always at the track or at the sports hall in the evening and Many of them didn't really have any time for their own recreational sport or physical activity. And, you know, some of them talked about like strained family <laughs> work or coaching family balance was certainly not like the best. And I mean, that also comes when we talk about meaning that often people who find a lot of meaning in their work, like sometimes it's not a great thing in terms of their overall life balance that they can prioritize and that. Thing that they do that they find so meaningful at the expense of other things in their life or other people in their life. So there is this potential dark side from doing something that is highly rewarding and, and very important for you. So I wonder if that theme a little bit maybe came in in your findings as well. 
it's such an interesting thing to think about because as we've discussed, you know, there's that idea that maybe meaning or an absence of meaning and absence of purpose is that languishing, right? Is that absence of mental health. And so we would think that if we have meaning in sport as a coach, um, let's say, that that's going to help us flourish. But I think when we look at mental health as this overall thing that's impacted by our different important domains, that if we value our family, we're going to derive meaning from that, from our time with them. So if we're spending so much time in sport, if we find sport so meaningful that we are losing the balance, if we still value our family, then we're not drawing meaning from that context. And I think that would be a bit of a negative. And I think that's why balance came up with these Mm-hmm. with these coaches was I think they did value highly value multiple areas of their life. And I think similar to my guess with athletes is if you have these different domains of your life that you value, it makes it easier to navigate associated mental health challenges with valuing one area, maybe too much. I do think it's important to note that these coaches were full time. Um, so I didn't mm-hmm. speak with volunteers yeah. and in my own experience as a volunteer coach, it can be quite difficult to find some of that balance because it is a commitment and it is, you know, I love my coaching. I love getting to work the student athletes I work with. I love the other coaches I coach with. Um, It's just such a fun environment to be in, but sometimes it can feel like it's a lot because it's not my full-time job, but I feel like I'm letting people down if I'm not kind of going above and beyond the minimum. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a an exciting area for future research is understanding with the volunteer coaching workforce, which is a, a huge, huge, huge proportion, um, arguably a majority of anyone who coaches is a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so really understanding how can we support them in finding something like balance where they're still able to derive meaning from their coaching in a way that's going to promote their overall mental health. But that balance is what's also going to serve. And what I argued in my second study was the balance serves as the protective factor. So when sport is getting tough, when there's kind of those challenges associated with being a coach, when there's a lot of those stresses, you know, balance gives you an opportunity. I don't want to say retreat, because it has a negative connotation, but to shift your attention to another area where you can feel good about things and say, you know what, like things in sport will pass. So I am going to focus a little bit more on my family right now while I figure out how I'm going to best navigate this challenge in sport. So yeah, I think it's, it's such an interesting thing with the volunteer coaches and understanding how we, how do we best support them? Um, And that wasn't something I looked at and it's, I think it's going to be a really important area moving forward, again, especially when we consider that most people who coach anywhere are doing it in a volunteer capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, let's move on to your third study. So time is running. So I want to for us to have a good conversation around that as well. The third study, again, used a method, Miles Huberman Saldana, uh, if that gives people a bit of an idea of where it's coming from, um, a pragmatic qualitative approach to generating a process map. So what I specifically looked at was given the role of both the coach on athlete mental health, on athlete flourishing in my first study, and the athlete on coach mental health in my second study, and some other research out there that looks at you know the relationship between coach and athlete 
affect essentially is what we've established a little bit of. Um, I wanted to understand the promotion of flourishing in that coach-athlete relationship. And so where it started, where the process of promoting flourishing started was with the creation of shared goals between the athlete and coach that were meaningful, uh, which fits quite well, obviously, with everything we've talked about today, as well as developed in a way that was collaborative. So goals that were one-sided typically being handed down from the coach weren't very useful in this. And largely that collaborative element helped make sure that the goals were meaningful to the athlete um, as well as to the coach. So once those goals were established, uh, the coach and athlete actually took on different roles in helping the athlete uh, experience some of that goal-oriented growth that we were looking for in order to get to our flourishing outcomes. So as an athlete, uh, it was important that they were willing to learn about the resources that were available to them to help them experience that growth, as well as be willing to engage with the resources. And so there were some examples that coaches gave of, you know, I had this student athlete who had all of the the physical tools, all of this, all of that, but I think they really struggled in their time here because they didn't engage with the resources that we taught them about and that we made available to them. Um, And then, of course, as a coach, uh, building on that, it was important that the coach provided the athlete with the resources, taught the athlete about the resources and how they could use them in ways that were relevant to them, as well as giving the athlete opportunities to use the resources. So just because you have the resources and you teach the athlete that they're important, if you're not giving them those breaks from competition, if you're not giving them time to engage with the resources, it is really hard, as a, especially as a dual career athlete, as a student athlete, to engage with them in a way that's going to promote the growth you want to see. And then when the coach and the athlete were able to recognize that the athlete was experiencing growth in the direction of their goal, we started to see kind of enhanced flourishing. So we would see uh, increases or suggestions of increased emotional, psychological, and social well-being. Um, And of course, this process had a number of facilitators most proximal was the strength of the coach-athlete relationship. And then as we moved out, um, the individual personal factors or personal characteristics were important for both the athlete and the coach, as well as the other relationships in the sport environment. So the relationship between the coach and the administrator, the coach and the other coaches, and the athlete and their teammates were all important relationships where the stronger those relationships were, the easier it was for the coach and athlete to kind of engage in this process. And lastly, we had environmental facilitators. So the sport culture, uh, it was really important that it was an athlete-centered culture and athlete-centered meaning focused on athlete growth and development being a priority for the entire organization. And then the presence of physical and human resources. So human resources being things like access to maybe a sports psychology consultant, the athletic therapists or physiotherapists, and kind of their relationships with everyone throughout and their understanding of athlete and coach mental health. Um, And then physical resources. So basically, are your facilities adequate? If an athlete needs to get stronger, do you have adequate facilities for them to do that? Or do they have access to them? And those sorts of things. So Yeah, I hope that's a succinct way of breaking down a 35-page study. Yeah, excellent. And 
I think it's such a valuable contribution to the literature that you have really identified these experiences and these processes and these resources that coaches and athletes can have for flourishing. Just like we talked in the first part that a lot of work has been focused on mental illness, on depression and and so on, which is certainly so important work, but we also need to understand that positive mental health such as flourishing. So my question would be, you've identified these experiences and, and psychological components that contribute to flourishing, but did you see in your studies moments or little stories where that flourishing was disrupted in your participants' lives? And if so, what? how did they kind of come through that? Yeah, it is really interesting to look at, at some of the challenges that were faced. Miscommunication for, was a, a really big one, whether that was between the coach and the athlete or the coach and the administrator. Essentially, whoever was supervising the person I spoke with, the participant I spoke with, if they didn't if the participant didn't feel supported by their supervisor, if they didn't feel valued, there would be a disruption in flourishing. And so that was consistent through all three studies, um, whether it was coaches presenting a bit of a mental health risk factor, a mental health challenge to the flourishing athletes in season in the first study, whether it was coaches reflecting on, you know, at this time, I didn't feel supported by my old athletic director. Um, and that was really hard for me because I wanted to do these things and I couldn't. And so that, you know, made it tough to experience growth or I didn't feel like student athletes, personal development was being valued. So that was a real challenge for me. And then in the third study, athletes not feeling that goals were developed in a way that was collaborative or athletes not feeling that the goals their coach set were meaningful to them and what they wanted to get out of sport. At that point, they wouldn't go through the process of promoting flourishing in the coach-athlete relationship. If those goals weren't established in a way that was meaningful, in a way that was collaborative, the, yeah, the process just didn't start. So I think that's a really interesting one. I have some data from another study from an, a NASPA presentation that um, I'm working on, uh, which is nice to, to finally say after putting it on the back burner to finish my dissertation work. And it looked at pro sport, and I took a, a social ecological approach to looking at mental health among athletes in the Canadian Football League. And basically, when athletes felt valued by at each level of social ecology, so valued by themselves, valued by their close relationships, valued by their organization, um, like their team, their club, and valued by the league, when we had an alignment there, that was when they felt like they were flourishing at their peak, I guess would be how I'd put it. And so... Yeah, it's effectively, if if we can help people to feel valued in their sport participation, I think that helps with their their meaning and their purpose in sport. And, you know, there's an old saying, sport will never love you back. But I think we can make sure that the environment, you know, does make people feel uh, loved, if you will, or valued in their participation. And I think it's, <laughs> frankly, relatively easy to do. Basic kindness, um, establishing those relationships, with people by showing up early to practice as a coach you know as an admin maybe giving your coaches a day off maybe you know we don't just want kind of the token the tokenisms if you will of value the thank you card and the gift card at christmas but you're also asking them to work 60 hours a week kind of making sure that they have the support in place that they don't have to work a 60 hour week encouraging a culture where 
days off or days off, um, you know, closing down offices and doing those sorts of things. Um, and same with coaches and athletes, making sure that athletes are being given time off, making sure that athletes have the resources that they need to experience growth. And if your organization can't provide them, or as a coach, you're not sure if the organization has them kind of figuring out where they can go um, to get the support that they need to get the whether it's strength and conditioning or psychological support or nutrition or this or that or whatever, just kind of helping them navigate where they can go to get that support, I think goes a long way. So I really think overall, uh, the disruptions we see to flourishing are when people feel like they're not being valued. The disruptions to flourishing in sport are when people feel like they're not being valued in the context. And I think it's it's relatively easy to change that, but it's more than just one thing. Uh, it does require us to look at the entire structure of a sport organization or a team and understand the, the complex ways that different factors are interacting to promote this sense of value or to kind of detract from it. And so that was something that really stood out to me in this research. And I think it relates quite well to, to some other work I've done. Um, and the nice thing with it is, again, I, I don't think it's impossible or I don't want to say it's not difficult to implement, um, but I think it's quite realistic to say that we can, we can help people feel valued in their sport uh, without making substantial changes. Mm, yeah, I agree on that. Yeah. Maybe my last question, listening to your presentation, and one of the things that you lifted up in your discussion was this importance of rest and having this time off uh, to recover and also to do other things. And certainly I, I see why that is important and to have other things in your life and so on. But then on the other hand, it also kind of reminded me of one study we did with youth athletes and we asked them about just what is your dream day, like a best possible day in the future. And like a lot of them wanted to have a day without sport, like no training and, and you know, having good time with friends and and so on. And like on, on one hand, we saw that as a that there is some warning sign that maybe there's something wrong with sport. If the best thing for athletes to do is to have time off from sport, whether they are being just like too overloaded or, and so on. So what, what are your thoughts? If, if the athletes who were flourishing, who you interviewed one like really key thing for them to, was to have this rest period, for example, after the season, is it also a sign that, you know, too much is taken out of them during the season? Or could it be also a little bit of a sign of of overload? I think it could be a sign of overload. And I think it's it's such an interesting thing to think about. And again, it relates to the idea of meaningful work. If something's too meaningful, you know, quote unquote, too meaningful, um, it's easy to get sucked in. It's easy to spend a lot of your, your time there and kind of sacrifice these other areas. I think with in regards to rest and in regards to you know the importance of giving athletes time off i think that's true of every domain whether it's work whether it's um family whether you know whatever it is i think balance is just generally important i think having multiple domains of your life that are important to you that you can kind of reach to to promote your overall mental health makes your overall mental health more stable that's that's a guess but 
yeah, I think in that way, it's healthy to give people time off. Um, and I think we should continue to do it. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think needing to give people time off is a bad thing. And I don't think that giving people time off or recognizing the importance of giving people time off from sport is a bad thing. I think it's just a generally important thing we need to do. And in regards to the the specific study with the youth athletes um, and their best day not involving their sport, I think when you're at that point, when the athlete doesn't want to be around their sport at all, it is really important to recognize that and give them time off. Um, one of the things I'll note in my own experience coaching uh, here at the University of Alberta with the, the gridiron, the Canadian football team, is as the culture has... So the team was inherited um, by the current head coach with not a great culture, and it's taken a lot of work on behalf of the current head coach to really change that culture. Um, and one of the things that we notice every year is that more and more of our student athletes, more and more of the the young people on the team, visibly just love the game more. And so they'll stay after practice and do extra work when the coaches aren't around, or they'll organize events for themselves where they can just get together and play football. And they won't do um, technical work. This isn't like a, um, a practice to try and appease the coaches. This is just guys saying, we really like hanging out together. We really like being together. We really like playing our sport together. So we're just going to go out and we're going to play, which we do give them lots of time off. In fact, we've actually had to start mandating. Um, we've had to start locking the locker room um, for part of the off season to prevent them from spending too much time doing their sport. And so I think that there's an element of culture in people wanting to engage in their sport and having kind of that healthy relationship with it. Whereas a coach, you might have to, to cap the time that's spent on the sport. But I, yeah, I think recognizing that maybe taking that time off after the season and not wanting to do your sport then is perfectly healthy. You know, recognizing that you might benefit from a, some downtime from your sport is probably a, a pretty healthy thing um, from what we can see. But I think there are definitely organizational kind of structural systemic changes we can make where we're helping people develop that love for their sport through these cultural changes that makes it so sport is the place they want to be. And it's, you know, it's somewhere where they want to hang out. And yeah, there might be other areas where, you know, if you could do anything for a day, it's sure it's go and travel and do something that like your sport um, you know, like Canadian football, there's not a huge international uh, travel market for right now. But we see a number of guys wanting to engage in their sport more, and it, it did take a pretty big culture change to do. So I think it's recognizing that if your athletes need rest um, and feel like they would rather do anything but their sport, it's important to make sure that you're giving them that time off. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think it's quite healthy to recognize when you when you need time off from something that you like. Yeah, I, I thought those were like really, yeah, good reflections from kind of both sides of the coin and and maybe what comes through from our conversation that yes, having that sense of meaningful involvement in sport is important, but 
was always having meaningful involvement in other areas of life. And I think that balance was something that came up like several times in this conversation. And that would be something uh, maybe to remember from, from what we have talked about today. And yeah, it's, it's really been a pleasure. Once again, congratulations for the PhD defense, really excellent job. And thank you for the podcast. And I hope you enjoy your very well-deserved holidays. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I am uh, planning on enjoying, as much as I love the research, um, enjoying my, my downtime, my rest, and uh, finding a little bit of balance myself. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.